0: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, again, I think we have a great show lined up for today. It's very timely topics to talk about. We're going to start off talking about the six signs that you aren't ready for retirement. Now, I hate to be negative. This isn't meant to be negative for folks that are approaching retirement, but, you know, there are six common things we see here that kind of indicate that you may not be ready. And, um, so this is an article out of Investopedia, um, very recent article off of Yahoo Finance and, uh, some, some very telltale signs. You want to look for these and we're talking about some ways to prevent that.
1: Yeah, that's a great topic. And we're going to follow that up with a, an article about, um, being able to spot a market crash, right? Um, I, you probably had the same thing, but I have clients that send me uh, articles pretty much weekly about someone predicting a market crash. And, you know, if you think about it, if there are, you know, a thousand prognosticators out there, somebody's going to get it right at some point. Of course. Um, you got so many people every single week that are predicting things. Someone's obviously going to get it right, but there's no one that can consistently call these these down markets. And we're going to kind of talk about, why we believe that, what the data that we see, and how you can kind of counteract that a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's very timely, very interesting as well. So that'll be good. And um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart SmartVestor Pro with over 20 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice.
1: And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years.
0: We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up exclusively every week on Friday afternoons.
1: Yeah, go to our website, moneymd.net. We have those podcasts up. We also have a link to uh, the historical podcast. We have a lot of um, you know, historical uh, podcasts you want, probably want to check out. We talk about long-term care insurance and budgeting and you know, kids and money and so forth. Quite a wide you know, variety of topics. Um, also, check us out on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, MoneyMD. And we also have a Twitter following as well so a lot of different ways we communicate
0: exactly we're out there all over the place so no excuse for not listening and tuning in to the money doctors do check us out on our website moneymd.net where you can link to us there you can email us your questions um we'd love to hear from you and we will talk about those questions here on the air sometimes um so we'll answer those for you um but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week.
1: Yeah, this is uh, interesting, and uh, I was talking to to Matthew, my son, about this a little bit because we've had some some conversations with folks that um, are not invested in the stock market recently. And uh, you know, only fifty four percent of Americans, Steve, have money invested in the market, and that's you know through individual stocks or mutual funds or four hundred one ks and um that's according to to Gallup a Gallup survey so 54% and that's down from 65% just before the great recession which means there are millions of people that are still sitting on the sidelines that have never gotten back into the markets and the market oh by the way has like quadrupled <laughs> since it's low so exactly you know i mean the the key on you know we're going to talk about market crashes a little bit later but the key is is to be Diversified and have a plan and um, you can get through some of those tough times if you if you do those two two items
0: yeah don't try to time it it is kind of shocking that there's still after what has it been eight years nine years now still 10 percent 11 percent that are not back in the stock market that were are in prior to the great recession so uh, it's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines That, uh, you know, normally would be in the stock market and they were just scared out and they missed out on huge gains Mm -hmm. in the market since then. So that's a shame. You don't want to be one of those people. Don't try to time it. So stay diversified, as we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But that leads up to our first topic here. And that is the six signs that you may not be ready for retirement. This is an article uh, Amy Fontenelle out of uh, Investopedia and Yahoo Finance here recently. And uh, we kind of bowled down her 10 to 6 here that we think are mm-hmm. <clears throat> very pertinent and, and kind of added to those. And uh, But, you know, being ready to retire means more than just being ready to stop setting the alarm clock every day and, you know, putting in long hours at the office. Um, if it were that simple, most of us would retire at, you know, age 25. <laughs> like we right. were ready to do that a long time ago. <clears throat> but... You know, what being ready really entails or means is to have a solid grasp when you're spending, you know, kind of carefully considering an investment plan with your life savings and having a plan that you're excited about, about how you're going to spend your golden years, what you're going to do when you are retired. So with that in mind, here are six signs that you might not be ready to retire just yet. The first one is that you're struggling to pay your bills. That's kind of obvious, but yeah, yeah, I mean, advisors, we we tend to recommend that people live off about 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income. That's typically what it takes to maintain your lifestyle. Um, It's kind of a general rule because your expenses, you're no longer going to be contributing to a 401k plan, shouldn't be saving for college because your kids are probably out of college. Um, Job-related expenses, you won't be contributing to to social security, Medicare and those kind of things. So usually about seventy, eighty percent gets the job done in retirement. However, um, could be lower or higher depending on taxes and, you know, other retirement account type things that you have going on.
1: Yeah, and it also depends, Steve, really on your hobbies. I mean if you plan on traveling yeah. through Europe or taking luxury cruises, then you know, you may need 90 or or 100% um, versus someone who has hobbies of reading and gardening. So, you know, if you're struggling to pay your bills now, uh, that would be a bad sign for living off of a fixed income in retirement. And while a lot of people tend to spend less as they get older, they need to take into account some other expenses that may increase um, during their retirement, such as health care. Um, that's certainly a, a very big expense that we see. And we also see retirees spending about the same, you know, during the first ten years of retirement as they're working off the bucket list to enjoy their new newfound freedom. And then it tails off a little bit after that.
0: Exactly. So yeah. So if you're not living comfortably off your income now before retirement, you need to get a handle on that before you retire because obviously that's a bad sign for being ready to retire. Next one here on the list is you have a lot of debt. Um, now that's, again, this is kind of an obvious sign that you may not be ready to retire. You don't want to go into retirement with a large amount of debt. Ideally, you want to be totally out of debt, if possible, and not have a house payment, have your house fully paid off. Um, but if you don't, then, I mean, so be it, but at least make sure that everything else is gone. Large amounts of debts in retirement, um, will severely strain your savings once you retire. Credit card payments, car loans, they need to be a thing of the past when you're in retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, paying down debt before you retire might mean working a few more years, a uh, few more than you'd like, but it may be worthwhile if it gives you that sense of ease when it comes to not having those monthly payments hanging over your head. So get rid of getting rid of debt means getting rid of a lot of interest payments also. That can take a real toll on your finances and retirement. You, you want to be totally out of debt, if possible. At least have everything but the house paid off. But you know, if you're ten years from retirement, we always talk about this. You need to amortize your house payment and get it done as well, and be totally out of debt, so you really have nothing hanging over your head when yeah, you that, get in retirement.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Having debt, you know, paid off is is a big deal. And the next one here is I, I really like this one, Steve. Is is having making sure you have your major expenses addressed, you really don't want to wait until you're retired for some of those foreseeable expenses. You know, some things like replacing a roof, maybe uh, repaving your driveway, um, you know, buying a new car. I mean, these expenses can really add up, especially when the funds are withdrawn from taxable accounts and taxes need to be paid on on every dollar taken out. So that is a great strategy of having some of those big expenses taken care of as you go into retirement.
0: That's right. A lot of people don't think about that before they get in retirement. Um, but suppose you need a new roof, you know, seven thousand dollars maybe. A new driveway, four thousand. New car, thirty thousand. You know, those kind of purchases might require forty-one thousand dollars up front, and that means you might have to take sixty thousand dollars out of a retirement plan in able to in, in order to have that much after taxes to be able to buy all those things. So it's best to have those large expenditures behind you before you pull the trigger on retirement. You know, figure out what you'll need to save out of your monthly income to knock out those large expenses and do it before you clean out your desk and pack away your nameplate at your job. So uh, that's a good one. The next one here is you don't have a monthly or a long-term financial plan. Now, this is really important for retirement. Once you retire, I mean, the paychecks stop arriving, but the bills are going to keep showing up. So you better have a roadmap. For your cash flow before you retire. Planning your monthly cash flow means considering, you know, when you'll start drawing Social Security benefits, how much you'll receive, as well as how much you'll withdraw from your retirement accounts and in what order. If you have both a regular IRA and a Roth IRA, for example, you need to think about the taxes and the required minimum distributions on your IRAs and your withdrawals and how that affects your Roth IRA withdrawals. Um, how it affects your Social Security, you know, which uh, won't be taxed until you hit certain levels. So you, you got to have a plan for all of that.
1: Yeah, having a monthly plan also means you got to know what your expenses are. I mean, ideally, you got to have six months of actual spending history summarized by category. You should be able to analyze each one of those categories and de- determine how it might change during retirement. Some expenses may go down. Um, you know, maybe you know travel, uh, gas to, to and, and from work, um, you know, some debts may be repaid, whereas others such as healthcare care costs or recreation expenses may go up. So you got to do some – that's really important to have that matching up with the income plan that you're kind of talking about as well. And if those two match, then, you know, you can make a pretty good decision.
0: Exactly. You need to have
1: a budget for retirement.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and knowing what your expenses will be uh, means knowing how much income you're going to have as well. You know, once you know how much income you have and how much you need each month, then you can assess whether your nest egg large enough for you to retire, and whether you need to keep on working and saving, or cut your your expenses in retirement. Um, however, you also need a plan to take that takes into effect the count uh, inflation mm-hmm. on your income and your expenses throughout retirement. There's a big difference between having a real plan for thirty years of retirement and only having a snapshot for year 1 of retirement like most people do. You know, most people don't really have a full plan. Yeah, so they, don't. they they just like do a snapshot of what the first year is going to look like and they say, "Oh, we're good." And they don't really worry about what's going to happen 10 years down the re- down the road. Um and that's why it makes sense to solicit some help, you know, of a real planner sometimes to run those numbers and ensure that you get a realistic picture of what your golden years will look like throughout retirement. So that was number four. Next year on the list is retirement worries you. you maybe you just don't feel comfortable about it. <clears throat> you know, even if your portfolio's in top shape and you're, you think you'll have plenty of income, you may not, may not be mentally ready to let go of your working life. You know, working takes up a lot of energy. <clears throat> and some people may be anxious rather than excited to consider months or years of unstructured time ahead and if that sounds like you maybe you should think about pursuing a kind of a second act venture in retirement working part-time or becoming a volunteer at an organization that you care about however if you don't have big plans for retirement you may simply not be ready to punch out your last time clock Um, you know many people derive a lot of their self-esteem from their careers and for those people transitioning to retirement It's not a process you want to rush into, you know, you want to make sure you're comfortable Mm -hmm. with what you're going to do once you do, you know, check out and, um, you know, start, Every day like a Saturday.
1: Yeah, we talked about the the mental aspect of you know retirement last week. You know, there's a financial side you have to look at, but mentally as well is is very challenging for a lot of folks. That's right. And the last one here is you know we do run across um, a fair number of people that really enjoy what they're doing, right? So you know if you love your job, there's nothing that says you have to retire just because you hit a certain age. Uh, I mean, just look at Warren Buffett; he's still working at 85. Has no plans to retire. I'm sure he scaled back a little bit on the hours. But he does it because he loves his job, Um, not to pad his $76 billion net worth.
0: I think he's got enough. (laughs) I think
1: he's covered for uh, his lifetime. Um, So, you know, if you wake up every morning and you go to sleep every night excited about your job and what you do for a living, you know, it's likely that you're not ready to retire. And that's certainly okay. So continue living your life and really enjoying every minute of it because a lot of people do identify with their, their jobs. And if you enjoy it, then there's nothing wrong with staying
0: Exactly. I mean, working has benefits beyond the financial, you know, a job that you enjoy, it engages your mind, it offers social interaction, gives you kind of the a purpose for each day, creates a sense of accomplishment. And all those things can help you to stay healthy and happy as you age. So you might, you know, also be able to stay on your employer's health plan and possibly get better coverage than you would through Medicare. So um You know, those are all those are all good questions and good points to not retiring or not being ready to retire if you're in that category. But the primary sign that you aren't ready to retire is you can't answer the question, am I okay to retire? You know, if you if that question comes up over and over again and you're you're anxious over it, you're probably not ready to retirement. Retirement is a major life transition that requires ample preparation, planning And there aren't many do-overs for retirement. So if you discover you aren't fully prepared, you can address the problems by sitting down with an advisor to help create a financial plan, um, a retirement plan that will help you pay down your debts, know how much income you'll need during retirement, and help you get on track to really enjoy retirement. So that's kind of the point here.
1: Uh, great topic
0: all right good topic and that leads us up here to our question of the week
1: yeah this question comes from a a client um 50 years old um uh purchasing a a new home and wanted to know if it was um financially wise to get a 30-year mortgage and um so 50 plus 30 is 80 yeah right uh no so about that? yeah so the the conversation went something like this um the other piece of information, which I didn't mention is that they're going to stay there for five or six years. Okay. So, um, the conversation was, and they have some other external situation that is driving them in this direction. Um, which I want to get into a lot of detail, but the, the message was, is, you, you know, you're going to have debt in retirement if you do a 30 year mortgage, if you don't do this right. So in five to six years, when you sell it, you're going to have to take the cash because they're putting some cash into it. Right. They're going to, have to take that equity and go pay cash for their next house. Okay. That is the plan. Okay. But getting a 30-year mortgage um, and planning on paying that until the age of 80 is not a, not a good strategy. So this is, there was a caveat. Yes, for five or six years, you can pull this off and make this work, but your next house purchase has to be downsizing and paying cash.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, Pete, everybody has great intentions. And I get this question a lot too, like, oh, we're going to be moving in five years. We just want the flexibility to be able to put more money in the retirement account or whatever it is. Um, so we don't want to put it into our mortgage and we're going to be moving anyway. So at that time we'll pay more down, have more money, take a shorter mortgage, whatever the case may be. But the problem is, John, we all have great intentions, but we don't always follow up with those great Mm -hmm. intentions. That's right. So you you have to force yourself to follow up on those intentions. That's why having a 15 year mortgage, even though it takes away some flexibility, Mm -hmm. it requires you to have it paid off in 15 years. What if you don't move? What if you don't end up downsizing? Mm -hmm. What if you stay in the house? What if, you know, things change and you're not able to put the money in the retirement plan or you spend the extra money? So get a fifteen year mortgage then it's, it's automatic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's going to happen 15 years. You're going to have it paid off. You're going to be done. You're going to be ready for retirement. If you end up staying in the house or interest rates shoot way up and you can't refinance. Some people think they're going to refinance in a few years. Right, so,
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, the risk is certainly higher going, going that direction. Like I said, there were some, some external circumstances, um, but the risk is definitely higher. And as Dave Ramsey says, a fifteen-year mortgage pays off every single time in fifteen years. Exactly. A thirty-year, you know, like you said, the intentions are there, but sometimes, a lot, many times, it doesn't happen.
0: And you know what? You get about a half percent lower interest rate mm, with a fifteen-year mortgage. That's so right. just do fifteen and be done with it. That's that's my answer. But uh, great question of the week. All right, and that leads us up to our next topic here, and that is, uh, you know, are we smart enough to spot a coming stock market crash?
1: You have your crystal ball out.
0: I do, John. I look at it every morning.
1: Yeah, fifty percent chance of up, fifty percent chance of down. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. it's a little different than that. If you look at the historical right. markets, the markets are up about seventy percent of the time, and they're down about thirty percent.
0: That's right. So, and that's in in studies have been shown that regardless of how expensive the stock market is, it still has about a sixty or seventy percent chance of going up. Yeah, you know, from here.
1: Yeah, that's right. This comes out of Market Watch, and it's really intriguing. Um, you know, each modern stock market crash has been precipitated by a catalyst that, and a lot of times, has little to do with finance. And you know, the psychology of money, money, and investing is really is infuriating. I mean, economists assume that we're rational beings that we constantly evaluate cost and value to maximize utility, but too often we realize too late. <laughs> That that sort of thinking that once you know helped us survive the the prehistoric moment of danger, such as being hunted, a long time ago, it doesn't work when the danger is modern and long term. So, you know that that instinct is is wrong when you start thinking about the markets, and we see that a lot of times. It's very emotional. And one problem one problem investors face is the concept of an anchor price, and that was first described by a. Two gentlemen, uh, Kyman and uh, Tversky, and regardless of the value of a share of stock, we tend to believe that the value must be close to the only bit of information that many of us have, and that's the current price. And so this anchoring effect makes it easier to justify paying a wildly inflated price for a company that's operating at a loss or for a market that is hugely hugely overvalued by any objective measure. I was looking at um, Amazon stock just because it's in the news and their PE ratio, Steve is like crazy. I want to say it's like 200, you know, it's over 200. So, I mean, a lot of the earnings are built into that price.
0: Yeah. People are still buying it. I mean,
1: and it it, may continue to do well, but it's very, it's a, it's very, it's priced very richly. Yes, it is. I mean,
0: they're, they're count. it's priced to perfection as they say, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, they're counting on delivering with drones here in, you know, five years or something or three years. And if that doesn't happen, it's, it's, you're probably paying too much for it. you know. But you mentioned, you mentioned that our kind of our primordial instincts, you know, or of, of being motivated by things that don't really work in today's markets. And, and cause I've heard it said before that we're, we're motivated by fear a mm-hmm. lot more than we're motivated by gratification, mm-hmm. right? And so that instinct of of fleeing, you know, something that's fearful or pain is a lot stronger than us moving towards something that has a good reward at the end of it. And um, I think that works against us in the stock market. Once we get scared, we'll make all kind of irrational decisions mm-hmm. regardless of, of what the numbers say. And regardless of what the benefits are, if it, if it works out the way it, it probably will work out. Um, another common fallacy though that investors face is something called hurting, which is a tendency to use actions of others as a measure of sensible behavior. Just because everybody else is doing it, we think, well, that's the thing to do, right? Um, you know, there's fads, there's fashion, then there's stock market bubbles that are kind of examples of this kind of mindset where investors kind of lose the uh, uh, the sort of herd, hard-nosed skepticism and the difference of opinion that makes the market healthy. You know, it becomes fashionable and nearly unavoidable. You know, too many investors want to buy too many stocks that have too little going for them, like we saw in the tech.
1: Yeah, bottom. right. That and, was crazy. And real estate. I mean, right. that's the hurting. Like, you can never lose, and you just keep buying and buying and buying. And, and
0: we've seen that you know, twice now in the past 15 years where, you know, the tech bubble where people were just buying all kind of tech stocks that had no earnings whatsoever. And of course, like you mentioned, Amazon, I think is an example. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, if it were just psychological quirks that led to the, the runaway stock market rallies, the bubble might deflate itself slowly as the anchor price is gradually lowered and the financial fads and some of the fashions change. But You know, Steve, the stock market isn't just a psychological exercise. There's a lot of time real world, you know, events that come in. Each modern stock market crash has been precipitated by some catalyst um, that has caught a lot of people off guard. And these catalysts um, push a system barely, you know, able to maintain the equilibrium and chaos. Now, I will say we mentioned this in the open is, you know, there are thousands and thousands of people that are making predictions about the market. I mean, you look at what's happening in the world um, politics with North Korea. I mean, there's right. there are probably 30% of the people that said, get out of the market, <laughs> you know, and they're making a prediction. Right. And today, they're, they've been wrong. Now, could they have been right? Well, certainly they could have been.
0: Yeah, but those kind of <clears> things <throat> are totally unpredictable.
1: They are. They are. And, you know, if you think back to 1987, um, you know, the one thing that most people remember is that the market crashed 25% on that one day, but a couple of days before that, on October the 16th, the Iranian military attacked a, uh, a U.S. oil tanker in the Persian Gulf, and two days later, the U.S. Navy bombed the heck out of them. Yeah, <laughs> an the oil
0: platform or something, yeah.
1: That's right, and so, you know, people would have thought we were at war, and, it, it, you know, that, that crash is a good example. No one were, was really talking about that, but the crash caught people off, off guard because it was based on a different reason.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I just didn't remember it was tied that closely yeah. with the crash of 87. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, each crash is, albeit, um, you know, it's kind of a, 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 there's always some kind of novel financial contraption that many ordinary investors have never heard of that are kind of mixed up in this crash, you know, that come to light in the middle of a crash or um, a down market. And people don't fully understand them. And it makes it impossible to account for the the leverage that these gadgets sometimes interject into the system Um uh, and, you know, kind of create an inflection point in the market. You know, for instance, there was collateralized mortgage obligations mm-hmm. and things in the last crash you know, with the subprime mortgages that people didn't really understand. You know, even the experts didn't really fully understand all the implications of them and how they were used. There's leverage ETFs today and... Things like that. There's always these benign sounding things that are, you know, that have an effect on a market crash. Um, You know, there were something called investment trusts back in the 1920s that were a wonderful way for ordinary Americans to invest in uh, a modest amount in a diversified fund in the stock market until these metastasized kind of into a a leverage type fund uh, by fund sponsors and soon it wasn't unusual for an investment trust to be leveraged 8 to 1 back in the 1920s um so a tremendous amount of leverage and something that only makes sense in the context of herding so it made no sense whatsoever
1: yeah and there's been other things in the 80s there was derivatives and then we had the the tech bubble we had the real estate and you know the the world is is um is full of people that are trying to predict this stuff they and they're trying to sell you gold you know they want to want you to subscribe to their newsletter um, and there 's always going to be people out there that are that are beating the drum of negative 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 and and w- w- this article is right we can 't predict these downturns. Um, what we do see is if you 're diversified and if you are concerned um, and you have a plan that may maybe have some bonds in the portfolio that'll give you some protection exactly and if you 're young um, when the markets crash and they go down. Historically, buying has been a great strategy when it goes down. It's on sale. Absolutely, it's, it's always come back up a hundred percent of the time. Now we can't predict the future, and we're not trying to do that. But looking back historically, um, these people that call these market crashes—they have no clue which one, what item is going to cause a crash. Right. And even if they
0: did, they don't know when it's going to recover. You know, it's it's just there's too there's too many unpredictable parts to a a market correction or a crash. Um, if you were going to try to time it, you'd have to time when to get out and when to get back in, and that's right. the hard part.
1: And I think it's, you know, it, if you look back at history, with all of these market crashes, technology, real estate, you know, 1987, you go back to the Great Depression, you know, the markets have still averaged 10% per year, um, the S&P 500. Through all of that. Through all of it. So that means you are going to have some 20% down years, but you're also going to have some 30 and 40% up years you know, as well in there. So the key here is, you know, be diversified. Don't watch the news media. Don't make decisions based on what you're seeing because no one can predict the next crash or the next, you know, correction. Um, be, be properly diversified and have a plan and, um,
0: and be at a risk level you're comfortable that's, with. That's the key. Even in a down market. So right. you can ride it out with, the, and not, not, you know, panic. And just ride through it and wait for the recovery when it comes.
1: Yeah, I mean, diversification doesn't prevent losses, but it does help to reduce volatility a little bit. And having some bonds in a portfolio for someone who is nearing retirement um, typically is a pretty good strategy. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Okay, great topic. And that leads up to our final topic here, and that is the prescription of the week.
1: Yes, um I saw an article recently uh talking about timeshares and um yep. Wyndham, who is the biggest uh timeshare company. They lost a $20 million court verdict back in November um when a whistleblower employee accused the company of targeting elderly people with deceptive claims about the ability to sell a timeshare back to the company. So, you know, there's been, you know, a lot of history on on timeshares. My parents had a timeshare down in Hilton Head and it was interesting back in the '80s when they um, sold timeshares. They did it for 25 year windows, so their timeshare ran out. Oh, you know, really? Today they're deeded to you, which sounds really cool up front, but then you're like, "Well, I don't really want this thing," and I'm being charged a thousand dollars a year, or whatever the maintenance fee, fee or for what, one
0: week or something, right? Yeah.
1: Or one time, you know, charges for the property and so forth. So here's a prescription of the week. There is a um, a, a reputable. Um, way to get out of these, a company. It's called TimeshareExitTeam.com, okay? And this is somebody that Dave Ramsey, you know, endorses. Okay. Um, so he's, he's gone through and vetted them, and I actually have worked with a client talking with him as well. Cost some money to get out of it, right? Sure. Because you're going through a legal process, but, you know, for some people it's the right answer. So if you have a timeshare that you're not happy with, TimeshareExitTeam.com is, is an option for you to check out.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a good good place to check out if you're not happy with your timeshare and want to get out of it. So a uh, good prescription of the week. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of MoneyMD. Do tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net, and email us your questions at info at or give us a call Richard and Associates. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.
1: This program contains general information only
0: and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVister Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.